Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the entomology films of the VHS era. Tonight, we're talking about a very odd, very unique, shot on a multitude of formats, uh, video from 1990 called The Age of Insects. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners, you can find 1993's Age of Insects nowhere online, streaming anywhere. I don't even know where Luke found this film. I've never heard of this in my life. Uh, I don't think many people have ever heard of this film. I have it on VHS, um, but there is a DVD release as well. Uh, interestingly, it is now part of the collection at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City, and they have exhibited it before. Where did you find this? Um, I bought it from someone on Instagram. I can't remember who. So if you sold me Age of Insects, shout out. I appreciate it. Do you feel better now that it's in your life? I think we've seen a couple of shot on video lists, like best ofs, like tens fifteens hundreds this was nowhere on any of them and it seems kind of strange because this is a very unique film the very distinctive piece of cinema that we have watched for this episode i am just so surprised that i've never heard of this before i don't know a week ago when we decided to do this the the reason it's not on any of those lists is because it wasn't exclusively shot on video. It was shot on a combination of Super 8, 16mm, 35mm, high 8, and Betacam. So I don't I think that account like there are moments in the film that look almost so grainy that you can't see. Um and then there are moments in the film that look really crisp and nice. And so you can tell that it's a mishmash of formats gelled together. Joe Bob Briggs calls this the Citizen Kane of underground films. How how high is that bar? <laughs> underground films? I I this would not be my Citizen Kane of underground films. That's a good question. What do you think your Citizen Kane of underground films would be? I don't even know if I've seen enough underground cinema to be like, oh, oh yes, this is clearly a Citizen Kane quality like work here. I, I, don't, I don't think I have. I think mine would be El Topo. It's like, I don't even know if I'd consider that underground. Oh, I think it's underground. Ford and obscure, sure. But man, uh, maybe I just don't have a clear definition of the underground. Right. Because when I think underground, I my mind automatically snaps to like super low budget, artistic, uh, untraditional, usually nonsensical films. And he needs like a very specific, narrow minded set of criteria that it has to meet. And I feel like El Topo is somehow beyond that like it could get grander in scope than something that can be considered underground all right i kind of get that but my my definitions are probably scuffed as fuck 
Well, and there is, I don't know that there is an objective definition of what makes an underground film. Um, but I, I would count The Age of Insects as one. Yes, no, this feels very underground. Yeah, no, I, the entire time you're watching this, you feel like you are underground. So you feel isolated from the world. You're like, is this, is this what it, reality is really like? And I am just blind to all of it. Is class consciousness part of recognizing like into capitalism's effect on my world, my existence? I think a lot of this movie is nonsense. It's just like pseudo jargony nonsense. I was really hoping there would be some sort of um, like binding philosophy throughout the film, like relating like insects to like a perfect organism because of its indifference towards nature and it's like struggle for survival or like it's pent the, the bugs penchant to like survive among all costs as being some sort of like superior behavior. But no, there's nothing like that. This movie's all over the place. I don't think it's aiming that high. I, I think it's trying to be like a weird trashy underground film. And I, I mean, in some ways, I think an institution like the Museum of Modern Art purchasing it and like exhibiting it, maybe that gives it too much credibility. I That credibility is the wrong word. Maybe that gives it the wrong kind of attention because I don't think this was intended as a work of high art. If anything, I think it's kind of a fuck you to the world of high art and it just seems inappropriate. The best way to view this movie is on VHS. It just feels right. I can't imagine the DVD being much better quality. Like, especially with the bizarre way this this was filmed. I just can't imagine it being much different. Maybe widescreen. <laughs> I actually think, I think my VHS might have been ripped from a DVD. It wasn't released until 2013. So I imagine it was ripped from digital at some point. So what you're saying is you need, in, for the authentic experience, you have to purchase the DVD, rip it to VHS, and then watch it. No, what I'm getting at is that I like to think of movies like this, and I kind of feel like they are, like something I randomly found in the video store. I mean, I'd never heard of this movie until I... I traded or bought it from somebody on Instagram and checked it out. And it's, it's the equivalent of picking it up on the weirdest shelf in the video store and being like, what the fuck is this? And you take it home and find out. And that's kind of what this podcast is about to me. So I'm actually, I actually think this is a really appropriate fit. Oh yeah, no, this is very on brand for us. It's so on brand. I didn't think we would ever find something this on brand. It's just incredible that there's still shit out there like this that I haven't heard of. Oh, there's plenty. I have I have plenty of aces up my sleeve that I'm waiting to reveal until the eight ball gives us a appropriate subject area. But let me read you the back of the box. And um, (laughs) this is going to be good. And then we can play the trailer. Uh, assuming we have one. A story of adolescent angst and how far parents will go to smother it. Dr. Richard Benedict has perfected a method for changing people's personalities. 
Jack Rhodes has a son he once changed. Beverly Rhodes had no idea that her son would be changed in ways that were not entirely human. Not science fiction, not horror, just outrageous entertainment. Okay, that was actually way more tame than I thought it would be. Yeah, it's it's not that exciting. But no, I, I, I thought it was going to be way more pretentious. So the story of this movie is basically that this doctor has an experimental method of turning people, uh, changing people's personalities, and it involves a lot of insect imagery and metaphor and perhaps insect oils being rubbed on the skin. Um, and then you kind of molt and are reborn. Is that a fair synopsis? I think the molting is figurative, right? I don't yes. think we see anyone peel off like a layer of skin. No, it's figurative. for nutrients. <laughs> we don't see any of that. Although it would have been on brand for this film. Yeah, I, it, it, I would have liked to see that, actually. Let's play the trailer, and then we'll go through the story. It's my son, Doctor Lance. One minute he's the best kid in the world, the next minute he's like some kind of monster. I had once hoped the boy would take on the family business, but now. Treat him for a personality change. His life is at stake. got the next Howard Hughes on your hands. I asked you for a treatment, not some voodoo ritual. A lot of mayonnaise in there. What else was I to do? The treatments must be completed. You're just a spoiled brat. In fact, if they were discontinued, Lance would be a living vegetable. Just sober that punk kid up in line and get him ready for the loony thing. Because that's where he'll be heading. So for those who have not seen this film, which is probably just about everybody, <laughs> let's just taper some expectations now. There, there is no insectoid lycanthropy in this film whatsoever. Don't expect any sort of bug transformation. It's not going to happen. No, the best you get is like stock footage of bugs and a lot of talk of bugs and bug metaphors and bug imagery i think it's it's also important to mention that you know watching this film now this was made in 1990 i correct me if i'm wrong luke i don't think there are any allegories to any sort of like transitioning here oh me neither no none at all so just go ahead and and push that very far from your mind before you watch this film. Yeah. It's just, if, if you manage to find it, if you manage to find it, if anyone really needs a copy, you can reach out to me, but this movie starts with a quote from Robert Graves, 
who I know nothing about except he was a poet. And I don't know the context of this quote. I don't know if it was serious or satirical. But the quote is, from the age of 14 or 15, I believe, a youngster should be isolated and fed little, be purged and frightened, and then given a hallucinogen. While under it, they should be taught the moral rules of life. What did you think of that? I would be surprised if it was a fake quote. They just completely made it up. They could have. Why, why would a poet say this? <laughs> A poet from like what the nineteen twenties, fifties, or some shit. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know in what context he said this. Maybe it was a fictional context. Let me, you know what? Let me let me just search this real quick because I want to know. Yeah, I'm I'm doing the same actually. My gut tells me that this is a fake quote. You might be right. All I'm saying is if you search this quote in like any context, nothing pops up. Yeah, you might be right. Although I, I was able to find quotes where Robert Graves talked about taking hallucinogens himself. But I can't find anything about giving them to children and teaching them the moral rules of life. But anyway, when you saw that on the screen, what did you think of that quote? <laughs> When your movie starts out with a quote like this, you know, someone is about to be severely traumatized. This whole film is going to be about someone getting traumatized. And we are immediately treated to a scene immediately after this that it, 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 it kind of gave me like neon Genesis Evangelion vibes where you have like the character in the pure white room with like the philosophical monologue going on in the background. Uh, the movie kind of like drops that um, that like kind of uh, feeling like maybe like two minutes later. But that was my very first impression with yeah, this. The Weird, weird shit going on. This isn't our main character, though, that we're seeing, and I thought it was going to be. No, he. they say the recording says he's in the blue room, but it's all white. It's, I don't know, did, was this scene creepy to you? Or is, or is this the main character? If it is the main character, it's out of context from, like, the rest of the movie. No, I, I think it was this... another random white guy. <laughs> Yeah, I think this is a previous guy. Yeah. Like this is someone who underwent the process before our main character. Didn't really work out so much for him as it did the other guy, huh? No, he's um when we meet him, he's screaming like, "I'll be a maggot. I'll be anyone. Just let me out." It, actually, we get a really cool voiceover here. Can we just play it? Sure. <laughs> As an egg, this entity was priceless. His parents were of the finest stock. I tried to teach him to soar above man's tawdry, toxic doings. But this silly chrysalis would crawl forever, little comprehending the limits of time itself. You got to hear some of the music in there, too. What do you think of the music? I'm a big fan. It has a very primal quality to it. Like, it can, it, insects are usually um, outside of you know crickets and and mating rituals, like 
quiet, very quiet. But when you hear like the insects have like a sound when it comes to filmmaking, right? And like you know, you'll hear you'll hear spiders shriek or bugs click and clack when they normally wouldn't. But I feel like this film somehow captures like the sound of insects, but like the Hollywood fake sound of it. Yeah, this movie draws a lot from like 1950s monster movie type imagery. So you you get insect imagery and insect themes, but they're kind of filtered through that 1950s monster movie aesthetic. And also a ton of stock footage. Yeah, which I actually really like when stock footage is used this way. It, it's it's like, you know, nature, nature documentary footage, but from 30 years ago. Most of this film is from the perspective of, of a mad scientist. And so you can imagine like his way of thinking be actualized on screen as uh, as like biology stock footage uh, i feel like it's really fitting yeah you also in that quote or in that clip get to hear some of the way that this doctor speaks um which is in very technical jargony language with lots of entomological terms thrown around i find it really entertaining i like listening to him talk the constant insect verbiage does get tiring after a while i just i think it would be appreciated if it was a little bit more subtle or a little bit less used because when he's talking to normal ass people like say the main the, the, the i keep wanting to call him the main character but he's really just the main victim the main victim's parent like father he's using all of this language like larva and pupa and all of and and all of this shit grub grub yeah you know if if a normal person was listening to a doctor like this they would immediately just get the fuck out i feel like they should at least kind of have some sort of believable doctor image to lure parents into the system before you know getting weird uh, it didn't bother me that way. I was very entertained by it. Um, I I don't really find anything in the movie believable, so I'm not like demanding it move in that direction. I'd rather it just be absurd. And I I loved his speech. Of all like the outlandish shit that happens in this film, I, that is a very uh, minor nitpick. It just would have went a long way. Well, he has he has an assistant, Sarah who he says has the making of a she-mantis. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she is played by Lisa Zane, who is Billy Zane's sister. Wow. She's probably the biggest celebrity involved in the movie. We didn't talk about it. The movie is directed by someone named Eric Marciano, who I'm not familiar with. He's directed a few other things that all look equally underground. And most of the cast, um, their characters aren't even given names. Uh, so it's difficult to really talk about them. I don't think many of them had careers outside of this. But yeah, Lisa Zane plays Sarah, who has the making of a she-mantis. Before we're introduced to 
the doctor and Sarah on film, we see uh, a pair of hands. I mean, it's the doctors rifling through some uh, manila folders with photographs. I'm assuming of prior patients. And they say like six or before, after failure. They say stuff like that. Yeah, there's there's a before picture of this woman uh, who has like fake blonde short hair. And then the after photo is her looking like uh, she did a makeover for like a suburban magazine or some shit. And he puts like a picture of a velvet ant next to her for as a comparison. <laughs> like, ah, yes, this went exactly as planned. Homoentological experiments had left me devoid of patients, subjects, and research funds. Having placed a solicitation in a number of publications favored by wealthy, troubled weevils, I was developing my new assistant, Sarah, whom I'd unearthed in the teeming traps of her native land. In her large eyes, slender arms, and uncastly ambition, I knew the makings of a she-mantis, one that I could cultivate to my advantage, to my destiny. Damn Freud and his world of psychoanalysis. Had he but known the secrets of entomology, how quickly he'd have traded in his dirty bag of tricks for an ant farm. And those who scorned me and my theories, my pitiful maggot-infested colleagues, let them crawl from their cesspool of adolescent schoolboy games and take notice as I, Dr. Richard Benedict, achieved the complete and painless eradication of certain behavioral and personality traits that infect the human brain. Decadent, antisocial traits that would lay waste this precious cocoon we call Earth. I'm There's just a wonderful see. shot during that monologue of like a pair of women's underwear on a front lawn and some ants climbing on it. <laughs> yeah, I remember thinking like, wow, this is kind of stunning, like in a in a creepy artsy way. But I don't know why, <laughs> why it's there. I mean, on the one hand, it's really obvious meta imagery, right? Um we have this guy who thinks that insects are the uh, the literal seeds of life, but we'll consider that the main patient victim and his family own a lingerie company. So I'm not sure if oh, oh yeah is... I forgot about that part. Yeah, so I'm not sure if there's like, like some correlation there or if they just wanted to show like you were saying, some creepy artsy shot in some guy's front lawn of discarded underwear. No, I forgot. That's actually a big motivating factor for why the dad brings his or or requests that his son's personality be changed because he wants his son to take over the family business one day, which is women's lingerie. When um when he calls to uh to request the services because he saw the guys he saw dr benedict's ad in the newspaper um and that's how he called how he found him but uh dr benedict says how has your young grub fallen from grace 
And see, I think that's great. Like, I understand that in the real world, you would like, probably that would be a red flag, but I don't mind. So he says that it only takes a week, this process. You would think a concerned parent inquiring about a medical procedure for their child, a life-altering medical procedure for their child, even adult ch adult child, right, would want a little bit more detail. But you'd be surprised the amount of people who just don't inquire for extra info on um, medical procedures. Yeah, I mean, I think that he knows from the beginning that this is shady. I don't think he thinks that this is like on the up and up and this guy's like medically certified or anything. I, I think he knows that he's taking a risk, but he's hoping the risk pays off because he's desperate. I think he's like, I think he says at some point he's already talked to psychiatrists. He's exhausted all other avenues. Yeah. And more so, importantly, he's obscuring this from his wife, the child's mother. Who we meet later in the movie. But, uh, and the wife is Beverly, which is who the company is named after. Beverly's Hose and Lingerie. So yeah, Dr. Benedict promises that it only takes a week. And to the camera, he says, at last, a well-developed grub. <laughs> but there's a scene I really like where the assistant, Sarah, kind of gets in an argument with him because she wants to be an anesthesiologist. And she's like, what, you know, what are you doing to help me get there? Um, and he sweet talks her into dropping the argument um, and tells her that they're going to do great things and set off fireworks together. It's a little patronizing. Oh, I mean, it totally is. Yeah, yeah. Just a little, you know, <laughs> I don't think you're supposed to like his character. Uh, Huh? Are you supposed to like anyone in this movie? Maybe the assistant who's just trying to look out for her best interests? Yeah, I think we're supposed to identify with her the most. Although she does kind of go off the deep end herself, not too long into the film. She does, but she's the closest thing to a normal person we have in the movie. Which is saying something. It, it, it really is. But when uh, after he says that, that they're going to set off fireworks together. We see a bunch of July 4th footage with like American flag stars superimposed on the screen. And then it's mixed with a bunch of stock footage of insects. And there's a, there's a monologue here that I really want to play. July 4th. On this hollow, hallowed day. New Yorkers rush to the beaches and parks, relishing the stuff called life until it explodes into a nightmare of fireworks and intoxication. Perhaps it's for the better. Politics ruins the character, forcing to the fore of men's minds their ambition, their vanity, their competitive spirit, their passion for influence and cheap popularity. How quickly man mislaid his collective memory of insect hate. 
all for one and one for one. Oh, how the ants, the bees, the lowly fleas sneer at our concepts of personality, of political charisma, or any social cause is lost in the haze of selfish calculation. Oh, some politicians pledge to eradicate the last strains of that virulent fever, that free-thinking anarcho-individualism that sapped our collective will. Woodstock their wretched politics are but a means to eliminate competition, to conduct vulgar intrigues, to attain personal power. What did any human monarch, dictator, or president ever know of nature's magical mysteries, the relentless reckoning of which I am to be the instrument? Disdaining patriotism as the last refuge of a scoundrel, the dung beetle wisely issues its own declaration of independence, crawling inside a discarded beer can in search of something to regenerate its cause. When he says the dung beetle releases its own declaration of independence, I laughed out loud. That was so good. But I think your tolerance or enjoyment of this movie has a lot to do whether you find monologues like that enjoyable. Like, if you don't like listening to that, you're not going to like the movie. Who doesn't like that sort of thing? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Who doesn't want to hear some lunatic rant about his... Like worldview on insect behavior as being superior to the human condition. <laughs> it's great. Uh, it's it's actually pretty topical how while we have these stars and stripes flowing, part of um one of Hitler's speeches is on in the background. <laughs> oh, was it? I didn't even notice. Yeah, when he's talking about politics. Th- there's a lot of um there's a lot of uh subtle frame like scene fuckery in this film where you'll have like an image on the screen for like a frame and i guess you could call it like subliminal stuff although i don't know if that really i don't know if i really believe in subliminal like uh information being delivered via frames flashing you know i'm talking about yeah i don't think it works i don't think it works either but you you can see that happening through this film and there's a lot of um Stuff like what I just described, where you'll have something uh, kind of horrendous, sort of masked behind, uh, gosh, special effects. Is that what you want to call these? Visual effects (laughs) (laughs) that maybe you might not notice on a first watch because there's just so much here. This film is very overwhelming. It's there's so much in every scene, especially during these monologues. It's funny. The first time I watched it, it all just kind of like i don't know flew past me i i finished the movie and i was like eh, that was just okay like i didn't nothing stuck with me but then on my second watch which was this week it was a totally different experience it was um it was like you said where there was something to pay attention to or something that was bombarding me every moment of the film and for a runtime of like what just over an hour that's it's pretty. That's that's an accomplishment. Yeah, I don't think there's any boring parts in this film. So when Doctor Benedict decides that he's gonna like capture this young grub to reprogram him, um, his method of doing so is to like 
have him house sit for the front part of his lab but he doesn't know it's his lab he thinks he's house sitting for one of his dad's friends and he brings over a bunch of people to party with him and dr benedict didn't expect this but ultimately he just knocks everyone out with what chloroform with some kind of gas right yeah we get some all high as fuck first yeah this one girl says she's never been so high on pot before because she was smoking but um yeah it's really just uh the the drug that's being pumped into the room but the the people are saying nonsense things like one guy one girl is interpretive dancing and there's a there's a girl who says my diaphragm is stuck on the ceiling (laughs) like what the fuck i don't know how that happens but they all beat up the vacuum cleaner Yo, they actually fucked this vacuum cleaner up. They really do. Like, you could see it smoking and shit. I had a... Man, like, I think, like, last year, I had a vacuum cleaner explode in my living room, and that shit smelled horrible after, like, five seconds. I had to take it outside. I imagine it would. Like, vacuum cleaners start to smell bad even if they're not on fire. It's too bad they're so expensive, or I'd replace mine all the time. Well, you know... Vacuum repair services used to be a pretty popular thing, but yeah, now things are just designed to break. Yeah, so we go buy a new one. Uh, all right, let's get back to the film. Yeah, um, you know, that's just another, uh, you know, another flaw of mankind, right? You know, yes. insects made a vacuum cleaner, it would just work. Insects don't even need vacuum cleaners. They politely shed their exoskeletons in a particular place and move on. But um, the the doctor says that they deposited all of the other people in a fish market so they could set about nurturing our little mantis egg. And this involves Sarah massaging oil all over Lance. That's our main character, Yo, Lance's hold, body. Hold up, hold up. We need to go yeah. back to Lance's friends. Do you, okay. think, do you think they killed Lance's friends or just like abandoned them like high as fuck and passed out in a fish market an actual fish market i thought they just deposited them like fucked up i didn't think they killed them but they could have my first impression was that he just off them because they're not important well and they know where they live now yeah so maybe they would have had to have been killed i don't know like the rest of this movie it's vague as fuck yeah, it's left to the imagination. Can we so let's talk about this scene where she has to rub oil over his body and gets uncomfortable. Is this exploitation? Not of labor. I mean, obviously her labor is being exploited like supremely, right? This entire film. But I mean, from a from a film standpoint, <laughs> does this count I, as exploitation being forced to rub somebody you don't want to? Yeah, he she says. She says, I feel like this is most unnatural. And he says, no more unnatural than your chutney. Oh, my God. Yeah, chutney. How fucking weird, right? Yeah. So, um, no, I think it's definitely like a dated attempt at humor. Um, but it definitely doesn't play well now. And uh, but I, I don't. I don't know if I'd call it exploitation. I know I I don't think it's be trying to take itself that seriously. From a plot standpoint, 
I'm not sure if we're brought to its attention now, but the doctor has some sort of ulterior motive going on here where he's not only trying to mold this patient into a new personality, but he's also trying to reshape his assistant as well. And apparently it's part of the plan to a degree, although I think it goes a little bit too well. If we're going to assume that this movie has a coherent plot and continuity to it. No, I read it the same way as you, that he was manipulating her, that he did have a plan and that it just went too well. And so then at the end, he ends up frustrated. So I think her rubbing the oil on him is also part of the process of somehow like linking them. Maybe for the process in this case to to be a success for his transformation to um, undergo with as little complication as possible as a drone, right? He's required to have some sort of queen as a reference and he's using his assistant as that, that vector. Right. There is a lot of talk of him becoming a drone. But, you know, normally when people talk about drones, it's in a really negative light. You know, you fucking drone. You have your mindless. You have no direction of your own. You listen to others. In this case, drone is sort of a compliment from this guy because it means you've like transcended your basic human instinct of having such trivial things like personality and individualism. Like, congratulations, you have shed those weaknesses and you're now ready to join like a, a hive mind that wants to survive and improve and uh you know have a general uh place in a, a better place in the world it sounds like you really identified with dr benedict like you oh made yeah, a for sure. yeah for sure man <laughs> i do think there is like an internal logic to this film that kind of works but it's not consistent I think there are some some monkey wrenches in the system, and maybe that's part of what you were mentioning earlier, that this is supposed to be like an anti-art film, right? Like, I guess if this were like a true art film, it would be consistent all the way through, but they keep adding things to it that make it, uh, I don't know, kind of like waters down the meaning, if at all. Yeah, I just don't think they were going for a meaning. I think that they were trying to craft something you know weird and wacky but i agree that it does have an internal logic that kind of works um i just don't know if they were i don't think they were trying to make any kind of important statement but at some point lance's father decides that he wants to visit and watch and uh this is when lance is being put in the blue room there's a there's a very there's a very uncomfortable scene where the doctor is like hypnotizing him and telling him how much he misses and loves his parents. And then he squirts something in Lance's mouth with a syringe. Was this supposed to be like erotic? I don't think so, but it's, there's definitely, um, there's obviously a very strong power dynamic here, but I didn't foresee it as anything sexual. I don't know. The imagery comes across as homoerotic to me, but I might just be a warped person. <laughs> Yo, I medicate my cat like this twice a day. I don't know if there's really anything more than that. All right. And by well, that, I mean, I strap my cat to a table face up and 
tell it to miss its parents and then I use a syringe to squirt medicine into its mouth. <laughs> well, I think the hypnosis scenes are actually really well done. They're very dreamlike and we only get snippets of what's being said, like it kind of cuts in and out. I think it would be very similar to how you might think back on an actual hip hypnosis session. I have never been under hypnosis. I've never tried. Me neither. I can't imagine it would work. I can't I either. Like, yeah, but um, I have been under sedatives before, um, before medical procedures, and that makes you really trippy. So did this... Uh... Did these hypnosis scenes put you in that mental state? I don't think I would describe my mental state of watching Age of Insects as uh, a hypnotic in nature. No, um, it does kind of put you in a little bit of a trance, but more in like a hype. I was hyper focused watching this film just because there's so much shit in here. You know, like nowadays... Um, there's like a lot of people whose ADD is like so severe. They have to have like a film, a video game and like something else going on all at once in order uh -huh. to like maintain their attention span. This movie is like all of that in one, in one monitor. <laughs> I mean, you can tell, like, like I said earlier, the, the use of so many different film formats is, is almost, uh, a symbol of the entirety of the movie. What is that literary device? Um, a uh a synecdoche it's a synecdoche of the film so the do you think that a lot of this film's peculiarities like the way it was filmed over like seven different formats do you think that was like an artistic choice or just like a necessity of production i think it was an artistic choice okay because if it, i don't see how that would save you money right you'd have to buy all that equipment no you just have you just have it laying around and you borrow this from this guy for this scene and this from this person for that scene and uh you work with what you got maybe but then editing that would be like a fucking that's gotta that had to be like the hardest part of this movie right editing everything together from so many different formats yeah i have no idea i'm not a film guy i have no idea what i'm talking about so i'll just keep my mouth shut did you notice like any particular filming style associated with different parts of the film? Like, you know, during procedures, this was used dialogue. This was used. No, the only one that really stood out to me is there's a scene at the beginning where the former patient is like running down the street and it's extremely grainy, like eight millimeter type grainy. And I imagine that's what that was filmed on. Hmm. But other than that, I didn't pay that much attention. Can we just bring up how like the dad looks like Dr. Oz? He does look like Dr. Oz. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. Maybe it's just like the shitty video quality, but I get Dr. Oz vibes. Seems like just as much of a pushover too. Well, yeah, he wants to stop the experiment or the transformation, whatever you want to call it. Um, and uh they talk him out of it they basically say that like if they stop it now he could die i don't think death was the alternative i think it was he'd be like brain dead or oh yeah like, brain dead he's either brain dead or you know he'd have like mental damage for the rest of his life you can't just stop the transformation luke they they also threaten the dad they tell him like 
if if you incriminate us, you'll be incriminated too. Like they're basically saying we all know this is illegal. But while um while this argument is taking place between the dad and Dr. Benedict, uh Sarah is massaging the oil into Lance and saying, I'm loving you. I'm loving you. As we see like psychedelic images flash across the screen. This scene is also very well done to me. I liked it. And then we have like a nude model undressing um, as a montage that's broken up through uh, what I suppose it looks like, God, like an acid trip of so many different uh, unrelated imagery involving bugs and not even just bugs, sometimes just like random people that are in no other parts of the film. The visual effect of like the blue waves going over the camera during the scene is what I'd imagine like your what would happen to your eyes if you were like sustaining some sort of like irreparable damage before you like you lose your vision. And yeah, that's like the your eyes are shutting down vision. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the the next thing we see Sarah doing after the I love you, I love you scene, um, is she's just while Lance is unconscious, she's reading him the names of different articles of women's lingerie. I thought this was really funny. They were like trying to program an interest in lingerie into him. I mean, that's what the dad paid for, right? You might as well throw that in there. Yeah. You know, I guess the doctor, like, okay, obviously the doctor's in this for his own, you know, personal fulfillment of trying to like uh, reorder the human race or whatever the fuck he wants to do. But at the same time, he is still trying to get this guy into the role the father wants him to be, right? Like, I think in a a traditional film, this man would just be, like, turning his son into, like, a were-ant, and that would be, like, it. But here, there's actually some sort of, like, therapy going on here. He's, like, actually trying to get the son to integrate into what the father wants his family unit to be. Yeah, he's not bullshitting anybody. Like, he's frank from the beginning about what his plans are. It's just the father somehow ignores that he's saying things like our little grub and mantis egg. But all of this, yeah, but all of this like science bullshittery flies out the window in the next scene where the film starts to introduce sort of like an occult element to it. Yeah, we see like the doctor speaking some kind of nonsense about the ancient ones into a mirror and his face is painted. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I I wrote that these scenes were kind of tedious in my notes. Like this is the part of the only part of the movie that kind of dragged to me. It just feels so unnecessary. Like I yeah. wanted it to all be like pseudoscience bullshit. I didn't want them to bring in some like old gods. It's like, uh, what do you want to call it? Like, um, like a old gods do sex machina at the end to like wrap it all up. I just yeah. feel like that was really unnecessary. Yeah. I, it, it, I mean, it's dispatched with almost right away that it doesn't preoccupy the plot or anything. I'm, I'm not really sure why it's there. He has like uh it kind of looks like um like really uh, like it looks like um like 
East Asian calligraphy <laughs> like painted out on his forehead as yeah. he uh, monologues into a triangle shaped mirror next to a skull. Yep. <laughs> no, if you if you go to IMDb, the um, the image of him in this scene is is the main profile picture. Although I actually really love like the poster art that's the the VHS box is as well. It's really cool. If you haven't seen it, just Google the Age of Insects and like check out this art. I love stuff like this. After this occult nonsense, we're introduced to Beverly, who is exactly what you would imagine. <laughs> yeah, I... it, we're we. The only real surprise is that we're. It's kind of unveiled that um beverly is actually the mastermind behind the business it was her brainchild it was her hard work that got everything up and running and this guy's just kind of been leeching off the success of what was it hose and lingerie beverly's hose and lingerie beverly's hose and lingerie so it isn't just named for her it's her fucking company yeah and um i mean he is pitiful like he's a pushover for everybody. Like if you've if you have been divorced in like the seventies or eighties, their arguments are probably triggering because it sounds like a it sounds like an older generation marital breakup argument. Like every time they interact with each other, it's all about inadequacy, and questioning your manhood, that sort of thing. Yeah, she says. Uh, at some point, he pulls a gun, and. She says that even with a gun, he hardly resembles a man. And she like, <laughs> she taunts him. She calls him a loser and she's trying to goad him into shooting himself, which is like really heavy. She says, I have more black dresses than you have bullets in that gun. I love that line. Yeah, it's a good one. The, her whole performance is good. Like this is, uh, she's well acted. Um, she looks the part like perfectly like somebody who was really beautiful and is now kind of washed up and like still trying to look really young. Yo, like that's that a little harsh. I, th I think that's what the movie's trying to portray, though. I think it's trying to exaggerate that archetype. I don't think she's that washed up. No. I'm not saying that she's a bad looking woman like in real life. I'm saying that they've made her up to be ridiculous. Like her makeup is exaggerated and all of that. Yeah, they did do that. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at is that that's kind of the everybody in this movie is an archetype, right? We've got the rebellious son, the insane doctor, the businessman father, and the washed up, hysterical, bitter wife who is manipulating the husband like it's it's definitely a a, a stereotype but um at some point the father because she's she doesn't know what's going on she had no idea that they were gonna the father was gonna turn lance over to dr benedict and uh the father's explanation is you've cut off my balls and now i've cut off his and her response is to tell him that Lance isn't her son and that she only married him because she was pregnant. Not sure if the movie needed this part, but uh, then she freely tells him, I would imagine she's telling the truth. I have no reason not to believe her that Lance is not actually his son. 
but rather his brother. Yeah. No, I believe her too. I, I do think she's saying it just to like hurt him, but I think it's true. When the father tries to like interrupt the ceremony, Sarah stabs him, right? Yeah, it's probably the most pitiful stabbing we've ever had on the show. Yeah, it, it is. He pretty. has a gun and he just walks into her knife that's outstretched. <laughs> she doesn't even do a stabbing motion. He just walks right into it. <laughs> and then the doctor collapses. What happens to the doctor? So we are beyond science at this point. Like we're in the operating room. There's a magic circle on the fucking floor that's like surrounding the, the surgical table. We're we're beyond we're we're like metaphysical at this point, right? Like the transference of energy and souls and the other nonsense are going on here. I don't think this has any meaning. after the doctor passes out this the the patient <laughs> what is his name i'm just you know fuck it patient. lance pupa yeah the, lance the pupa um begins his awakening by he starts completely supine and then he like crosses his legs indian style and sits up into like yoga pose <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's had he has emerged into higher consciousness or so yeah, not not only are bugs superior in every way to to the humankind, um, they are also zen as fuck. Yeah, but then like before the doctor passes out, right? He's talking about like conjuring the dead, the Lord of Death. Like, man, I feel like that really cheapens what this could have been. It doesn't. I don't know why it's there, but it doesn't bother me. It doesn't fit. I maybe if they went more hardcore into like, like Eastern mysticism or something, it would have been more fitting. It just feels like they're throwing everything they can at the wall. There's a little bit of that. Yeah. Th this is gonna sound uh, petty, but I just wish that the Age of Insects had a little bit of a little bit more commitment to the theme. You know. <laughs> yeah i wish my underground art film nonsense art film had more commitment <laughs> yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of stock footage here of termites i think and beetles and praying mantises and it's actually pretty cool like i've never seen so many praying mantises in one shot before <laughs> yeah i mean even ignoring the content everything is still psychedelic visually but Sarah becomes the queen of Beverly's lingerie and Lance is her drone and they renamed the company Mantra Incorporated, which I yeah, thought but, was funny. But how does this happen? It happens because the mom picks up the gun, is threatening to, I guess, just like shoot her way out. 
but then is promptly killed mantis style by the doctor who sneaks up behind her. He puts his hands in like a praying mantis sort of way and goes like, ah. <laughs> the doctor doesn't die, though. We see the doctor later in his car. In his car in his office. Oh, it's in his office? Mm-hmm. Because he hears about Mantra Incorporated on the radio, right? Yeah. I like how they flash the Mantra Incorporated logo on the screen. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, and he calls he calls Sarah a she-mantis. And it sounds like a derogatory thing now. But we see him staring at a grasshopper and saying he will find it a drone and that she will commence the age of insects. I have no idea what that ending means. He does have a brief blurb of how he laments that perhaps part of the failure in this experiment was that the the subjects tended towards into-capitalism rather than socialism, which I suppose is the true form of government for the insect. It makes more sense, right? Yeah. They would prioritize the collective. <laughs> At least some species. I don't know. I don't I like know. How he's ref- I like how he's reflecting on it like that was the big problem. Like he didn't focus enough on like political ideology when he was like converting this fucking kid into a to a fucking bug. <laughs> are are all insects like collectivist or is an insect like the praying mantis like out for its own? You know, I don't think there are very many collective predators, especially among bugs cuz they usually just eat each other. <laughs> okay, so there's a lot of there's a lot of mixing of it doesn't quite work when you're mixing all these different species of bug together in your sim- in your symbolism or your ideology, does it? No, it doesn't. And uh, I guess that is the big failing of this film, that it fails to, to accurately capture the actual nature of the insect kingdom because it tries to lump them all into one group. Yeah. How can she be a she-mantis and he be a drone? The the problem here, you know, is that when praying mantises are mating, they eat, they eat, you know, the the male gets eaten a hundred percent of the time. Yeah, I don't see this relationship working out the way he thinks it might. No, me neither. Hmm. All right, with that, do you want to give final thoughts and a rating out of four? Although this is a, a film that sort of defies any traditional rating scale. We are only human, and so we must strive to fit this arbitrary scale, this um, rating system that we have constructed. Whatever. We're going to meet the constraints of this rating system. This this movie's underground style be damned. And, uh, you know, as a, as a underground art film watching experience, this is great. Like, hour, 10 minutes of your time, great investment for something that you're probably going to remember up until like you start hitting early dementia in your seventies. Um, I, I am, I am sad that there is no like sort of greater meaning or like um, logic present through this film. It does keep consistent for a degree uh, through a vast portion of it. But as I mentioned, I, 
was not a fan of the random evil occult shit that was tossed in at the last minute after the halfway mark. But if you go into this film just wanting a psychedelic experience, you're set here for an hour and 10 minutes. You can just totally mind fuck yourself. I'd imagine this film is probably even more trippy if you're under the influence of stuff. But I watched this sober and it was still a it was still a trip. The best way to look at this film would probably be like a as a Lynchian experience where maybe everything has meaning, but it probably doesn't. So just apply what you think everything means in your head and then extend enjoy the experience as it's presented. Uh I really wanted to rate this film higher, but man, I just I just wanted just a little bit more unity amongst like the entire runtime, especially if it's only an hour and ten minutes. Um I'm gonna go with three stars. This movie kind of reminds me of like a drug dealer that samples his own product. <laughs> like it's clear that the it's clear that we're watching the story of an insane mad scientist, right? Who has this obsession with insects and weaves a bunch of nonsense made up jargon into his language and obsesses over making humans evolve further, which for him means closer to insects. Um, But the movie has so much like the process actually works, right? Like there is something to the movie. There's it, it's not portraying this guy as a quack. He actually succeeds at doing this. Um, and so the movie has sort of a sinister vibe too, where like he's not just a buffoon. He's actually doing something that may be uncomfortable. At least I'm uncomfortable with it. As a, I would be uncomfortable with being. What's the term for this? What do they call it? Do they give it a name, this transition from man to insect? I don't think there's a specific name for this procedure throughout the entire film. I'm just going to say metamorphosis. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So anyway, what I'm getting at is that there's the movie I feel like needed to go in one of two directions. Either it needed to be more, it needed to be clearer that this guy was an anomaly, that he was insane, that he was batshit crazy, and the rest of the movie around him would be normal. Or make the movie entirely from his point of view and have everything going on batshit crazy. That would have worked too. I feel like the movie is somewhere in between, and so it's not, it, it's not in your term very, it doesn't have a lot of unity. Um, so anyway, but I still really enjoy it. Uh, I think it's well acted for what they're trying to portray. I think the dialogue is great. The monologues are really entertaining. All of the insect imagery and stock footage I think is well used. Um, if you're a lover of just like bizarre underground theater, if you like David Lynch or, um, more specifically, I think this I think this pays more homage to the films of like Richard Kern, Kenneth Anger, and Nick Zed, like those New York underground filmmakers from the eighties. That that's what this feels more like um than it does David Lynch to me. But um if you like David Lynch, you'll probably like this. 
And it's one that just people don't know about. It's underseen and underappreciated. So I'm going to agree with Leland. Uh, three stars. This is the future socialists want. Well, the box describes it as a bizarre and astounding tale of metamorphosis. So I guess my terminology was acceptable. But yeah, um, we don't want into capitalism, whatever that is. I just noticed at the end of the credits here, it says this film was shot entirely with the Belu 5008 camera. It says entirely? Yeah. Oh, maybe Wikipedia is wrong. That this film kind of lies to you constantly. So maybe we can't believe that. True. I probably also butchered the pronunciation of that. Baloo. I have no idea. Sounds French. Anyway, l- next week, let's watch Slugs from 1988. Oh, Slugs. Now, this is a film you can actually find somewhere. Yeah, I think you can find it everywhere, which is refreshing because even like a few years ago, this was a hard movie to find. But yeah, you can get it on, uh, I think, all of the streaming serv- services. Um, I think most people ha- are familiar with this one. Um, same writer-director as Pieces, which I know a lot of people are familiar with. Um, it's a blast. Uh, definitely check it out if you haven't seen it before. And join us next week to discuss it. And until then, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares, where I post everything we do. Leland, do you have any last words? Thank you for your continued support. Beautiful. We'll talk to you all next week about slugs. Have a good one. Thank you.